everybody. Welcome to another episode of Soul Things. I'm your host, Brenna, and I'm here with my good friend, Jared Seelid. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. Um, so today we are tackling a very fun topic, and we're going to be talking about masculinity, toxic masculinity, what is healthy, what is not healthy, what is biblical, what is not biblical. Um, and this has been something that I've been thinking about uh, for a while now, and I just think like at the age that we are at, as we're coming into womanhood and manhood and we're shaping like, you know, what type of adult we are, um, I really think there's a lot of voices out there kind of telling us like what is um, a man and what is a woman. And so I think, you know, obviously this topic can be super sensitive and we don't want to like make generalizations, um, you know, not being sensitive. So we just want you guys to know that like, you know, we've prayed about this, we've like thought about this and these are just like opinions and people's stories and stuff. So, um, yeah, don't get offended. (laughs) Yeah, no, it seems like we both like kind of came up with this topic as we were brainstorming. And as soon as we said, let's talk about masculinity, I think we both kind of cringed a little bit Yeah, because we're very familiar with all the voices Mm -hmm. and all the competing ideas that are out there in the world right now. And we also know how personally people hold this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so I was telling you before, it feels like we're walking out onto a sheet of very thin ice and hoping that the ice doesn't crack beneath us. Yeah, because that water. But the only way, cold. yeah, exactly, it's going to be freezing. <laughs> um, so yeah, just I think that we can approach this graciously and yeah. assume that if we say anything that really terribly offends you, I hope that you know that we don't mean it to yeah. either yeah. one of us. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it's something that we do need to talk about. And yeah, and we want this to be truth. a continuing conversation too, as you guys are listening and have thoughts and ideas. You know, we want to keep this conversation going, so we don't expect everyone to be like oh my gosh like i agree with 100 percent everything you're saying but we can still communicate with each other and love each other in grace so um okay so i kind of want to start off this question of like you know definition of defining um what you think is sort of um healthy masculinity and what is like what you know the hot topic word is toxic right so toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. so how would you kind of break down um the definitions of those two yeah um I think that right now, especially in culture, toxic masculinity has become obviously a hot point. Like people like talking about toxic masculinity, but on the other side of the aisle, it seems like there's a group of dudes specifically that are incredibly offended by the idea of toxic masculinity. They're like, how could you call my masculinity toxic? Mm -hmm. But it's like, they're not actually saying that all masculinity is toxic for the most part. I mean, some people do. Um, but there is this masculinity that can be toxic and it can be very corrupting to people around them. And I think that that can be characterized, um, in the modern day by boys that don't really fully understand, um, where they get their worth as a man. Mm -hmm. And so when you don't understand where your worth comes from as a man, you're floating on an ocean with no anchor to drop down and to like stay in place and to know who you are. And so then we have all these value issues and we start to ask, where does my value come from? Usually for men, um, I think just because of a lot of societal pressures and also baser instincts, uh, a lot of our self-worth can come from uh, things like athleticism, things like how much can you lift at the gym, you know? Uh, But there's also things like sexual conquests. There are things like how domineering can you be? There was a huge movement a couple of years ago that started with just this idea that Uh, a pack mentality applies to humans and there's always an alpha man in the Mm. room and so all these dudes are like googling how do i become the alpha not be a beta yeah exactly don't be a beta (laughs) and it's so cringy but i think that when you have no base and identity you're gonna look to all of these things and so it's a natural byproduct when you don't have identity to look to these things to to validate yourself Mm -hmm. um 
But then validating yourself through those things turns into really toxic traits Mm -hmm. because then we start to become domineering. We start to become overly aggressive. You know, we start to um, use women because we don't have our own identity. And so we need to like prove to ourselves that we're worth something. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a ton of things that contribute to this toxic masculinity. But I think the root cause of it is is just that notion that we don't have people speaking into our lives to say, this is what makes you a man from a boy. You know, mm-hmm. this is what turns you into a man. This yeah. is how you can pursue masculinity. Yeah, I think another big trait of that too, when I think of like unhealthy, is like lack of being able to emote in like a healthy way. Oh, totally, yeah. And I feel like there was like, you know, the silent generation and like, you know, people who, I mean, even now, like, you know, there's still issues, but <laughs> I think like, a lot of people were raised by a generation that was like, rub some dirt on it, you know, it's fine, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, men don't cry, you know, all of these yeah. things. And so you kind of end up with a bunch of like emotionally stunted like men. And so when mm-hmm. you're like trying, and so then you're hanging out with your guy friends, and as you're all like growing up and trying to mature, it's like, you know, how are you guys really like challenging each other and being vulnerable and like opening up in those spaces? Like, have you found that like sort of a challenge? Like, you know yeah oh man yeah absolutely um so i I wrote this down i think that toxic masculinity comes in a cycle so there's stoicism which is what we're talking about of you can't emote anything never feel emotion Mm -hmm. and this is something that like it started with marcus aurelius and then Mm -hmm. from him you know obviously that didn't work out well because roman emperors were notoriously terrible fathers Um, (laughs) but there's stoicism but from stoicism comes this marauder mentality where you know, my father didn't show any emotion. I didn't learn how to emote. And so I'm going to turn into a marauder where I'm going to look to everything else to pursue, like the peak emotions in life, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm overcorrecting the pendulum swings. And neither one of those are healthy masculinity. Um, you know, growing up, like I had a great father in the house, but he was definitely more in the stoic Christian mentality. Uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine about this last night, but one of the most notorious stories is that on taco night, whenever my family was eating tacos, if my brothers and I ever grabbed a soft shell taco, we would get a look from our father. And he'd be like, what are you, too weak for a hard shell taco, (laughs) son? (laughs) uh, And that's like a funny thing, but, um, you know, it can come from other, like, worse places. Obviously, there are way worse stories about people who had fathers that didn't understand how to... um, emote well or communicate well and so I kind of grew up in this household where uh everything was like banter everything's a joke you know um not a lot of depth yeah not a lot of depth at all and I think I think that that um would have been pretty detrimental to my growth but uh this is another thing that I want to talk about later on but I had the great opportunity of going to a a camp in New Hampshire for most of the summers Mm -hmm. that I, I was in high school and when I was there, separated from my family, separated from all the things that I knew, and of course all like the, the norms that were being pushed on me to never hit depth in conversation and to, to never go beyond a certain point of emotion. Um, you know, I, I think one of the most formative things in my journey from, from boyhood to adulthood into like manhood, you know, in my twenties now, uh, was having these deep conversations with my peers, like on a porch, middle of the night, on a lake in New Hampshire, you know. Uh, till three in the morning, just tackling all of these different things that we were feeling and being able to be really honest in those spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so important, but it's something that so many guys miss. Yeah. Yeah. So like kind of going along with that, like what are, so I think we've been talking a lot about maybe like uh, the unhealthy side of masculinity, but like maybe we can sort of like shift the conversation to focusing more on those positive things like you've experienced, like being able to like 
express your emotions in like a healthy way and like you know go to counseling if you need to or like be able to like you know be vulnerable with your friends or like learn what it means to be like a strong man who like you know can be like um a strong father and a loving father a strong husband a loving husband like whatever roles like you end up playing in your life and like god's called you to but yeah like what are some aspects of like a healthy mm. a healthy man yeah I know it's funny. This is where we come to a place of <laughs> overcorrection at so many different spaces, you know. Yeah. And so we, I think, we would both agree. At least in my generation, I think I'm starting to see something different um, with the, the the kids that I work with, the students that are now yeah, in middle I think school and high like school. Alpha or something. Ironically, I'm sorry. I think it's Generation Alpha. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. yeah, I think that we're starting to see a little bit of a shift here. But um, from the time that we were in high school and I don't think a lot of our peers had healthy masculinity impressed on them well Mm -hmm. and so there were all these people that dudes specifically that did not have any sense of responsibility or sense of growing and um I love this actually this is a C.S. Lewis quote from Men Without Chest which I'm sure you also knew that I was going to bring up a C.S. Lewis quote (laughs) you know me too well I'm I'm getting predictable (laughs) um but he's speaking here specifically about um kids that are told that there is no truth or there's relative truth or anything like that. He says, by starving the sensibility of our pupils, we only make them easier prey to the propagandists when he comes. For famished nature will be avenged and a hard heart is no infallible protection against a soft head. Mm. And I I think that's so insightful, especially to our times today, because um, we've talked about like certain case studies that we've seen in churches specifically where there's this dude that will come on stage, this pastor, and he'll just speak, you know, true things, but he'll mix in all of these more toxic overcorrections to mm-hmm. masculinity. And so he says, you need to start taking responsibility from your families. And then uh, he'll take male headship as described biblically to a whole new level. And it becomes super popular because these people um, who have had their sensibilities starved are looking to this propagandist on a stage and they say, it's okay to overcorrect. And so I, I say all that, all this to say that we're not trying to overcorrect. We're not trying to become mm-hmm. the propagandist, mm-hmm. but we're trying to bring it back to a biblical truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one of the things that's great about this show is that there is a pretty eclectic audience of people that do believe the the Bible is the word of God and those who don't. Um, but I think on either side of the aisle, we're going to see a lot of value in, in what the Bible has to say about, about men and, and the type of um, person that a man should be. And it's interesting. There's so... There's so little aggressive language in the Bible when it comes to men. Mm. And so much of it is all about self-control. Um, and so it almost assumes like your default is aggression. Your default is uh, listening to your baser instincts. But it's okay for you to, uh, in fact, it's encouraged for you to actually control those instincts and to bring them into check. And so in Titus 2, uh, in verse 6, this is talking about young men. It says, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. I love that, like that self-control language, the integrity language, the seriousness. Um, he's calling us into a place of responsibility mm-hmm. and also of... Um, yeah, again, self-control. And I think if we understood those two things, all of those other ideas about where does your worth come from as a man, 
you know, it's it's really easy if you're if you're sliding down a hill of instinct to keep on going. Yeah. What's really difficult is to stop. Yeah. Um, because you're working against so much momentum. Yeah. And like, I think that as men, we have these instincts that are the momentum of going down the hill. Yeah, it's like to... becoming a slave to your desires. And I was reading, I think I'm reading First Peter right now, Second Peter, I can't remember. Um, but it was basically talking about like the desires that wage war against your soul. And I think like that just really mm. hit me too, of, like the language of that and like the power of like our feelings and desires and wanting to just like do whatever we feel like and like try to find value in that is such, like you said, such a slippery slope. And I think... This sort of ties into a conversation I had last week on a previous episode about identity and like all the identity crisis that we go into. So I think if you haven't listened to that episode, you should probably listen to that one first before you kind of step into this one because I think they kind of go hand in hand. Um, but yeah, when I when I think of like healthy masculinity, um, obviously like coming from a Christian perspective, you like want to look to the Bible and like look to like how did Jesus like represent like healthy masculinity and like mm-hmm. what did that look like? And so, like, trying to flesh that out and, like, some of the resources I was listening to were, like, really breaking down, like, this idea of, like, sacrifice and this idea of, like, like dying to self. And I think, like, that sort of ties into what you're saying about, like, I feel like doing this, so I'm going to do this. And, like, I'm going to, like, puff myself up in the process because then you end up with, like, a generation, like, backlashing, you know, with, like, a strong feminist movement of, like, you know, berating men and, like, degrading men because they were so, like... Um, they felt so oppressed and felt like so domineered because mm-hmm. of like men who were not mm-hmm. um, self-controlled and who were not, um, you know, like seeking the Lord as an example of like how to like become who they are. Again, these are huge generalizations, but I think that's why we see like um, this kind of backlash with like, um, you know, I'm all about equality and like, you know, support of the genders. But I think sometimes it can almost become too far because it's like this bitterness and this anger of feeling like oppressed and dominated by another gender, mm. um, which, you know, that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah, I know. I itself. love and we've had these conversations, which is it's great because I think that we both have very unique perspectives looking at these issues, obviously, from a man to a woman. But. You know, I look at all that and I'm like, yeah, like a lot of guys really deserve anger and vitriol for the stuff that they've put women through specifically and all of this desire for subjugation and everything. And uh, it is just, it's interesting, but there is an overcorrection, you know, and there's not, we can't expect people that don't have a loving relationship with Jesus to show supernatural grace to other people. And so you see this really natural conflict yeah. emerge yeah because it's never i like because yeah. in my thought is like it's never like a solution to like become what you don't like in the opposite gender and then also just like mm-hmm. backlashing at somebody isn't going to fix them or change them and it's, so it's like trying to get to these like deeper things that we're talking about of like well why are they acting like this in the first place you know yeah. like what the heck is going on yeah. um but yeah okay so i have a question about regarding like the church and stuff like i know you mentioned like going to a camp and stuff and that kind of shaping like yeah. you know um the vulnerable side of like becoming a man and like what that looks like with your, with your friends and community. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, um, you know, we both went to the same church. We both grew up in church, but like, how do you feel like the church sort of spoke into you and in regards to like discipleship or like shaping who you are, not just as like a Christian, but yeah, like as a man, like becoming mm-hmm. a man, you know, how, mm-hmm. like, did you feel like supported or like, what were some challenges with that? It's a great question. Yeah. Um, and I wish this was also tackling femininity because I'd love to hear your experiences as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I, I would love to get to that. Yeah. So yeah. be thinking too. Yeah, um, but I think that the church that we went to uh, specifically probably aired on what a lot of people would see as the right side of masculinity where they're saying, um, you know, be the leader, be the head, and also lean into stoicism 
and I don't think it was like overly unhealthy. Yeah. Right, not as um, incorrect, but right as in like left and right. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> right. the right side. Yeah, right. Absolutely. It was not necessarily the perfectly correct view. Yeah. Um, but I don't have too much of an issue with the way that I was brought up in the church specifically. The one thing that I would say is that I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was immersed in uh, a culture of masculinity that I, as a young boy, could look to and say I want to become that. Um, like, were you seeing a contrast between, like, the school that you were in and, like, your unsafe friends versus, like, the church of, like, okay, these guys are acting like this and becoming this type of man. Yeah. These, like, this church, like, or was it all the same? Like, how was, was oh, there, like, man. a big contrast there? And, like, I definitely don't want to become that guy or I do want to become, like, mm-hmm. how was that? Yeah. I So I think that this is a, another, in my, like, cycle that I had thought up, it goes from the stoicism to the marauder mindset to just not caring. Like, mm-hmm. there's an apathy to it. Yeah. And I think that... For me growing up, I mean, I was so apathetic to the idea. I don't think I was like looking around being like, what kind of man do I want to become? <laughs> uh, and I think that it would have been great for somebody to come alongside me. I I, um, I took a group of guys to a, a camping trip this last summer and um, they were sophomores, I think. It was uh, two summers ago. Uh, sophomores in high school. Okay. And so I remember telling them like, this is the point in your life where you're going to decide what kind of man you want to be. And I wish somebody had had that conversation Mm. with me Mm -hmm. um, to say like the next couple of years, you're going to see so many examples in front of you. Some of them are going to be incredible and some of them are going to be awful. Um, And your job is to kind of pick what you don't want to be as a man and pick what you do want to be as a man and follow those role models. Um, What do you sort of use to guide that? Like picking what you do? Like, is it just what you want and don't want? Or like, how do you sort of shape that? Yeah, I think that there's like... (laughs) There are a couple of inherent things that, you know, my personality might jive better with somebody who's uh, a little more gregarious, like somebody that's really socially skilled and able to go out and talk to people and, mm-hmm. and to love them well. Um, whereas somebody else is like, I want to be the kind of guy that reads 120 books a year, you know? <laughs> um, and so there are personality things that you can pick and choose which one you don't want. But I think that there's also, again, going back to the Bible, there's a filter there where you say, this man is so strong and powerful um, and yet he chooses gentleness in so many different areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll go back. This, there's another story about my dad growing up. I remember I was a little kid, um, and me and my sister were fighting, and this was the last time that we've ever gotten into like a physical fight. Wait, how old were you? Were you in? I don't know how old I was, but it was not. It was not old enough that it's like a horror. It's not dangerous. Like, <laughs> no one's uh, life was at stake. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I wasn't like a 17 year old being like sister. <laughs> Um, yeah, we got into like this, uh, altercation we were fighting and I remember like I hit my sister as like a little kid and yeah. And my dad like saw it and he like grabbed me and like pulled me across the room and he was like, you do not hit your sister like that. And there was, and I saw the anger and the ferocity in his eyes. And I realized in that moment that one of the true marks of a man is like, him and his power that he had over me in that place, I knew that he could snap my neck <laughs> if he wanted to. It's like the uh, fear but, of God in you. Right? Like... But the restraint that I saw, uh, I think that that is probably one of the things that, mm. that was modeled well for me yeah. as a kid because my dad, strong man, uh, and yet he chose restraint at so many different points in time. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those models that I look to and I say I, I wanted to become um, strong in so many different ways, but mm-hmm. uh, to also know how to control myself and yeah. how to restrain myself and how to show gentleness. And again, that yeah. you look to Jesus. I mean, this guy's the, the God of the universe, the one that called the stars into the sky, mm. separated sea from land. 
And then he comes down as a baby and he's like just, you know, he's very popular and at the same time very hated. And um, even as they're putting him on the cross, he shows such restraint in that place. And it uh, like the amount of power that he has, the amount of strength that he has, the capability that he has. And yet he still chooses gentleness in that space. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's one of the truest marks of, of a healthy man. Yeah. What are like some, yeah, what are some other like specific ways you feel like Jesus like showed examples like I know we kind of talked about sacrifice Mm -hmm. self-control gentleness like are there other aspects you feel like you like even like reading the scriptures and you do like in your personal time or like for work or whatever it's like wow like I want to apply that to my life to help shape what type of man I'm becoming and Mm -hmm. I think you know yeah what has there been any other other things yeah I think um number one uh just playfulness and like laughter I think that Jesus was such uh, I I remember the first time I actually got serious about reading the word and I actually went through the gospels and I remember thinking to myself, I've been lied to. Like Jesus is hilarious and he's fun and you know, his his friends are with him and he has such great dialogue. One of my favorites is um man, I think it's Mark well, one of the gospels early on, he's calling his disciples and he finds Nathaniel and he goes up to Nathaniel and Nathaniel's like, What good can come out of out of Nazareth? And mm-hmm. and so Jesus goes up to him and he says, ah, this is an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus says, well, I saw you sitting under the tree earlier. And he wasn't there. Um, he wasn't really there, but Nathaniel is like, how could you have seen me? I was alone in that place. Mm. I must believe in you. Surely you're the son of God. And Jesus is like, really? Is that all it takes that I told you that you were sitting under a tree? You're going to see crazy things, yeah. wilder things uh, than that. And so there's a playfulness in him that uh, I don't think that we really got in our church experience. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, which is entirely possible. I got sent out of the room a lot uh, (laughs) in our Sunday school classes. But uh, there's a playfulness in Jesus that I just, I love it and I admire it and I want to model that well. Um, I think there's an optimism in him that Mm -hmm. goes along with that that I want to model well. I think there's a confidence in confrontation Mm -hmm. that um, it shows that he's so deeply anchored in true things. Yeah. And so when he goes toe to toe with Pharisees, when he goes yeah. into the temple and drives out the yeah. con men and women, you know, yeah. uh, there's a deep connection to truth that he's confident in mm-hmm. and that he's okay entering into conflict for. Yeah. Cause like all throughout the scriptures, it's like Jesus knows who he is. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, it's like out of that identity and that security he lived his life. So that's why he was able to conflict the way that he did, the way that he was able to love the way that he did, the way that he was able to like be with the crowd, not be with the crowd, like all the aspects that you see Mm -hmm. and do it well. Obviously like fully God, fully human. He was like perfect, you know, but like I think one of the biggest things that I was seeing in scripture is like he knows who he is. And so it's like if you're stepping into like manhood or womanhood or whatever, it's like it's so important to like not just like know but believe like who you are and like live mm-hmm. out of that security and I know like that that's been like a prayer in my life recently is like okay we're, we're all human and we all have like insecurities and stuff like that but I think like yeah. I'm just kind of like the the best results that happen in like my relationships or like how I handle things at work or whatever it's like it's it's when I'm like secure and know that like what defines me who doesn't define me and like I can sort of live out of that and I think Jesus is obviously the perfect example for that mm-hmm. um yeah, so I would say that. Um, so another thing I was thinking about, too, in regards to Jesus and all of this is, um, why do you think Jesus, like, came as a man? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, in the scriptures, for 
God, we always say, he, like, we use he, him pronouns, like, all this stuff, and then clearly he came as a man. Like, do you think there was, like, a deeper meaning of why he came as a man and not a woman? Because I know, like, that's been in question a lot, too, of, like, uh, women being like, well, I can't relate to Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he gave it, like, he's a man. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. understand what women go through throughout the, you know, like, what would you kind of speak to the reason that, Je- like, what are your thoughts of why Jesus came? Yeah. Oh man, this is such a good question. You sent it to me like a week ago, and I still can't think that I have a, a succinct and clear answer. I think that there, there are biblical reasons that he he did so. There's something actually that's really interesting is that in in Genesis when um, God is issuing the curses after the fall, right, and he he's speaking destiny into existence for all of these things. He says that the woman will give birth, and that this son of man will crush the serpent's head, um, that the snake will bite his heel and he'll crush his head. And um, I think that just that simple fact, going along with the fact that Adam, the first man, sinned, um, it was Adam's responsibility to to take care of the garden and to the the to cultivate yeah cultivate and keep that those are the two words mm-hmm. and so cultivate yeah like you're supposed to grow you're supposed to work the ground mm-hmm. you're supposed to make it productive but mm-hmm. keep is a word of security and guarding mm-hmm. and so it's given to Adam to provide security for this garden and Adam sleeps on the job mm-hmm. Adam fails miserably and so I think that just because of of the curse and the the destiny that's spoken into existence and the fact that Jesus is the true Adam mm-hmm. and the perfect Adam um, it's kind of this perfect prophecy that has to be fulfilled in jesus coming and perfectly cultivating people mm-hmm. you know cares for people so well and then yeah. perfectly keeping because it crushes the serpent's head so i think that that's the textual answer um yeah I, I would love to hear actually what you think but it's also interesting before i get to that that uh <laughs> that you know one of the promises is that you will give birth to a son woman will give birth to a son one of the funny things coming out of Christmas season, this kind of hit me. I was like, why didn't Jesus just like come in a meteor or, you know, a UFO and, and drop to earth and suddenly appear? Like, why is Mary such an integral part of the story? Mm. And I think it's because even from the beginning, God knows that his plan is for woman to be part of the complete story yeah. of humanity. Yeah. And so he, he, in his image, he created them, male and female, he created them. So male and female are both in his image. Um, and together they are his likeness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we can't overlook that woman still plays the integral part in the story of Jesus. And then further, uh, Jesus lives his life in a way that male or female, you can model the way that he lives mm-hmm. and he shows incredible examples of femininity. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, he, Jesus lives his life in a way that is so masculine that it makes everybody else, every other man feel insecure mm-hmm. and squeamish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it should give you something to shoot for. And yet he also lives his way, his life in a way that shows such gentleness, such hospitality, yeah. such caring, yeah. all these feminine characteristics, which of course men should also strive yeah. for. Yeah. Uh, but he does it in a way that male or female, you can model who Jesus is. Yeah. And I don't think that that's done on accident. I don't yeah. think it's an accident that he didn't marry, for example. Yeah. He yeah. didn't get married. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we don't look to him as the perfect example of a husband other than the fact that he's married to the church Mm -hmm. his bride Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think those are all great points i was honestly when i asked this question i was really struggling to answer Uh. it i was like i have no clue but one thing i guess i was thinking about is like jesus was coming in a different cultural time right so like kind of thinking like uh, maybe he would have like uh, be able to do what he was able to do because he was a man because i Mm -hmm. feel like women were not seen as like teachers and leaders and like 
you know, only speaking, less spoken to. So I always wondered if that was like an aspect of it, if like it just yeah. made sense. But honestly, like to the deeper theological levels, like I have no clue. So I just yeah. wanted to ask because I wanted to yeah. see your thoughts. Um, but I thought like, oh, maybe it would just like make more sense that. Yeah. Um, well, it's also such a great thing to look at his life and to see the way that he elevated women. I mean, you're talking about the patriarchal society. And yeah. So many of his closest followers yeah. are women. The, the women that. Yeah. You know, the and people I, that he first. Right. And I think to. that's like tied to it. Right. So yeah. it's like, let me step in because I know that. Like, in this fallen, sinful world, like, there's this, um, right now in this cultural time, like, men are, like, have more power, sway, leadership. Let me step into that, and let me show you how to treat women, and let yeah. me, like, you know, show you how to elevate, like you're saying. Um, but, yeah, I, I honestly don't know, like, 100%. Um, so, I was doing some reading, and somebody was talking about the vulnerability that Jesus uh, displayed, especially on the cross. Um, so, like, obviously, the idea of, like, uh, being in like a super like vulnerable like space of like you're carrying this cross like you're naked you're like getting beat up and like it's almost it almost looks like failure right like it's like oh this guy like what's he doing like nobody gets it right like what the heck is he doing and like the way that he sort of is so like this um it wasn't a book I think it was like an article that I was reading was sort of talking about that like obviously like that doesn't really look impressive hmm. like like hmm. it looks weak it looks like you know like Jesus wasn't f- like f- punching his way through or fighting back you know or like backlashing or whatever and like you were saying like that restraint and that like that shows like vulnerability and like how that should be like displayed in men and like what that looks like in their leadership roles in like whatever that is for them you know um so i just thought that was like a really interesting point um because like everyone had all sorts of opinions about who jesus was Mm -hmm. like i said before he was like super secure in that so he didn't let that like oh so i gotta sh- i gotta show them like i like i feel like sometimes when like guys can get offended it's like they get all puffed up it's like oh, i have to like you have to like defend yourself or something mm-hmm. and i feel like because jesus was acting out of security he never had to like backlash or like the only times he got angry obviously were like for righteous anger but it was never like it was like father forgive them they don't know yeah. what they're doing yeah and it's like how do men you know show that level of like yeah. um you know it's not always going to look like glamorous or impressive yeah. or yeah it might see, feel like like failure at times or whatever but it's like it's humility it's meekness it's like it's like trying to follow like that example mm-hmm. especially like the pinnacle of like why he like came and stuff um because he knew that like like their opinions like were wrong like he knew like why he was there like if people just thought he was like a good teacher or he was crazy or he was <laughs> like failing or you know whatever all yeah. these thoughts were as the crowd was like seeing him mm-hmm. you know um, and I think, yeah, a lot of times, like, I mean, I'm saying guys, but obviously girls struggle with this too. Like you can get so caught up in like the opinions of the crowd, so to speak. Yeah. And like that is starting to like shape you. Oh man. And that's so detrimental. And I think that's mm-hmm. why you end up with a lot of guys that like are, I feel like Matt Chandler says as well when he says boys that know how to shave, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it's like, you're not really maturing. You're not growing. You're not understanding. You're not being humble. You're like responding out of what you think other people think of you and that like comes with pride and that comes with all these things that like Jesus wasn't displaying especially on the cross yeah totally I think that that's incredible just to point out that even when Jesus is being mocked personally or victimized personally when he's being beaten that's not where his anger shows up in the gospels and yet his anger does show up a lot in the gospels but if you look at it it's always when other people are being victimized Mm, yeah and so you know when he goes through the temple it's not because he feels offended it's because he he knows that you know his father's house is being turned into a place to swindle Mm, poor people in that society the underprivileged and when he 
it, you know, when he goes to Lazarus's tomb, the Bible says that he snorts in anger when mm. he sees the consequences of death, mm-hmm. when he sees that Lazarus has been taken because of, of sin, because of the oppression of sin and death. Mm. And so it's, it's amazing that that anger for the victim, the anger that he feels on behalf of the victims leads to his peace and his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so I think if men can reclaim anger in, in a great and, and glorified way mm. to, to look at the things around them and to be legitimately angry and furious, but not only yeah. that, but to let it um, transfer into the way that we live our lives sacrificially. Yeah. So like be sacrificial, go into the world and, and let the anger that you feel at injustice fuel your selflessness. Yeah. So then it doesn't matter what other people say to you because, yeah. you know, you have that confidence that Jesus had because yeah. you're accepted in this. That's family. good. You're talking about anger. I think like, this was something I was kind of reading up on and stuff because now I'm like going into counseling and like how certain people handle certain emotions is really interesting to me. But I heard that anger is a secondary emotion and sadness is a primary. So a lot of times like mm-hmm. um, guys who have not like, uh, who can be like emotionally unhealthy or toxic or whatever um, can be very angry people. And it's not necessarily like their anger at the injustices of the world. It's just like anger is almost like this default like trigger because they haven't dealt with like other emotions that they felt like they weren't allowed to express. Yeah. You know, like yeah. if your father left you, that's sad. That's a sad, depressing, like who doesn't want their dad, you know? And then it's like you might start lashing out in school or getting angry, getting into fights and whatever. And like you're, you're trying to like prove that you're a man when you had like this huge void or whatever, when it's really at the core of it, it's like, it's sad it's like sadness and stuff it's like how to be able to like take the steps that you need to be able to handle those like emotions in like a healthy way um to be able to get to the point of like you're talking about understanding how jesus like emoted with anger and these other things i think is is important too Yeah. yeah i mean and on top of that like jesus he's not he doesn't avoid sadness either. Yeah, he know? wept. Even when he when he talks to the two sisters, to yeah. one of them, he gives counsel and he says, "No, trust in God more for your grief." And then to the other one, he just weeps with her. Yeah. And I think that there's such an intimate knowledge of other people and such yeah. an empathetic style of reasoning that Jesus yeah. has that I mean, men a lot of times miss because we are so self centered. Yeah, that's so good. He like he like I was thinking about when like Jesus wept before he raised Lazarus. I'm like he knew he was gonna raise him from the dead. Like yeah. he knew it was gonna happen, but he still allowed himself to like you said feel and to like be empathetic and to like mourn with those who mourn and like rejoice with those who rejoice. So I think that's another example that mm-hmm. that men and any like you said. All this stuff we're talking about can also apply to women too in terms of like just, you know, being like Jesus. We're all called to be like Jesus. Yeah. But I think just for the sake of this conversation, we're saying men. Yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. Time. And actually that's not an important qualifier because in all of these passages that talk about both men and women where it says um, – when it, it just gives a list of like commands for women and then it gives a list of commands for men. It's like both of these can be applied to either gender for, sure, for, for the most sure. part. Yeah. Um, but the important thing is yeah. uh, is that these tackle specific propensities yeah. of the genders. And so a man might be on the massive scale. Here we go. Here more we go. prone to anger, more prone to lack of self-control, mm-hmm. more prone to these things. Um, and so the Bible like specifically gives you a command against those yeah. and it says, I know what your propensity is. I know where you're going to just roll down this hill. Mm-hmm. Now here's a command that will help you stop that. Um, do you think, why do you think, okay. Do you think men are afraid of weakness and like coming across as weak? And why do you think that is? 
because I was reading this, like the, another interesting quote from this article that I was reading. Um, it's like when Jesus was in that vulnerable space, he's like, his weakness became our strength, right? So it's like, I thought that was kind of like a cool parallel. But yeah, like, what, like, do you think men are afraid of coming across as weak or weakness is like threatening to them? And so they like, what are your thoughts on weakness hmm. and masculinity? That's a great question. <laughs> I think that there's like a discomfort in weakness. I think especially for uh, guys that have lived through like a father leaving or anything like that, or even a father who's more on the stoic side and this is weakness makes you a victim. And I think that, I think now actually we are starting to see that shift where it used to be hide your weakness. Now there's a lot of guys who are way too willing to share their weakness. Like and they're cool like, they're like, you know, I can do this because like I struggle with anxiety. I have like this, this uh, heartbreak in my past. Like they, they make excuses for bad behavior by uh, pulling in their weakness and, it's it's interesting because it can become a crutch yeah. on one side of it. But yeah. then, of course, there's the other side that says, I have no weakness. Yeah. Uh, I'm not scared of anything. And both are self-focused. Yeah. Like both are saying. so self-focused. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, because it's like you want to come across one way yeah. of like whatever is like accepted. Yeah. Like, you know, if it's accepted to be like strong and powerful and like nothing bothers me or is it cool and accepted to be like, you know... Like, I'm a victim. Don't... <laughs> like, don't bother me. You know, like, pick me, guys. You know, yeah. whatever Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, just on, on that, C.S. Lewis has another quote where go. he says, We make men without chests and we expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and then we're shocked to find traitors in our midst. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to say, um, like, there, there either is no difference or like, man, you, you have to be so forthright with your weakness that it's like comes right after your name after you share it Mm -hmm. you know it's like hi i'm jared and i struggle with this and this and this you know and this is what makes me feel weak and vulnerable uh like i think that is an overcorrection because then you know it it makes a guy like that doesn't define you i think sometimes people are starting to take it on of like hi i am so and so and i have anxiety depression whatever and so it's like that's not who you are though like it might be something you struggle with but like what has happened to you what you currently struggle with like that's not who you are and that's like why we're saying like this understanding of your identity is so important it spills out into everything that we're talking about yeah Um, i think that's like so so important because like i mean we all struggle with that we all like struggle with feeling like the thing that one thing that happened to me or like i can't get over this one thing or whatever i guess this is who i am Mm mm-hmm yeah, because you're the ship on the ocean without an anchor. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you do have an anchor, but you're not finding anything yeah. to actually latch onto. And so yeah. the first thing that comes along, if it's weakness, struggle, um, pain in your backstory, like if you let yourself become identified with that, I mean, you're going to be stuck in a bad part of the ocean, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to be anchored down in the middle of a storm. You want to get out of it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting, yeah. Yeah. All right, Jared. Well, it's been so great having you on the show. I've loved diving into this topic with you. I know it's kind of a hot button topic, but... It's been really cool just to kind of navigate this aspect of young adulthood and how we can do our best to live into manhood in a healthy way and womanhood to a certain extent. But stay tuned for an episode on healthy femininity as well. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to another episode. If you guys want to follow me on Instagram, it's soul underscore things underscore podcast. I'm also excited to announce that I started a Facebook page. I'm going to be building an online community for us to continue to talk about these hard spaces and learn how to heal and grow together. So that's going to be a Soul Things Podcast Facebook page. Also just added a Twitter account where I'll be sharing thoughts about what the Lord's been teaching me lately or quotes from podcasts and different things like that. You guys, just some encouragement throughout the week. So thank you all for listening and navigating through this journey of your 20s. And remember, even in the hard spaces, His grace abounds. See you next week.
Okay, so after high school, uh, you know, I was disinterested in continuing my academic career, and so I decided to do something a little bit different and join the Marine Corps. And so I went out to the Marine Corps basic training in San Diego, uh, California, which is way less pleasant than it sounds, but it's 13 Okay, so after high school, uh, you know, I was disinterested uh, in continuing my academic being, career, uh, and so I decided you know, to do something away. a little bit different I mean, and join the, the, the Marine thing, Corps. The and so like I went out to the Marine Corps basic training in San Diego, uh, California, which is way less pleasant than it sounds, but it's 13 weeks of just getting torn apart, being broken down as a human being. You know, they take away... I mean, the, the weird thing, the weird thing, this is like they shave your head, they take away all sense of personal identity, they take your clothes, they give you new ones, they say, this is who you are now, oh, it's wild, yeah, and uh, they say that, you know, one of the things is you're no longer allowed to say I or me, you always have to say this recruit, and they're basically saying that you have no sense of personal identity in this place because you are not, and so for 13 weeks you're separated from everything that you know. Um, and you're just learning how to become a and so, people that and so in this place I mean really the things that are drilled into you are like, like don't do built to kind of make you somebody who's okay with killing people and like doing intense things and the Marine Corps already attracts uh, people that I would describe as members of the extreme and so people that are you know really wired like they don't do anything so half-heartedly it's always to the max and so uh, that amplifies pain as well which is why there's such a, a hard time I mean you've done a lot of work with veterans but difficult I mean, I've talked to a lot um, yeah I think that there, there is this this propensity to just find the extremes of everything that we do and so I think that masculinity and pursuing masculinity in that setting is very difficult. I mean, I've talked to a lot of young Christian guys who um, are thinking about joining the military, and I usually tell them I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> like, you have to be so, so secure in who you are in Christ because the minute that you go in there, I mean, everything that you do is going to be judged. Like, if you show a little bit of softness, you know, if you try to emulate Jesus in the way that he walked in gentleness and also, like, in conflict, um, it can be really difficult to withstand the, the, the onslaught of, of other competing ideas of masculinity. So it's, like, total opposite of what you're talking about in terms of, like, being self And so, you know, Marine Corps specifically, highest rates of suicide in all the military, uh, highest rates of sexual assault and domestic abuse in all the military. And I think it's all because we're taught to pursue extremes, you know, there's no such thing as moderation, um, you know, it is, it's effective, you know, it definitely works for a lot of guys, yeah, exactly, it's kind of saying embrace those instincts and then take them to the extreme, all built on the, the desire to turn you into somebody that would be okay killing somebody else, I mean, at the end of the day. Um, you know, but there, and, there is you know, something it is, it's effective, you know, it definitely works for a lot of guys, like turning them into something else, something more extreme, something more intense. Um, but I don't think it's, it's usually not the most healthy thing in the world for people. And, um, you know, but there, there is something, there's value in it. And, and here's what I want to say, and we can, this kind of translates into just like, what now? Like, we've explored all these different ideas about masculinity, toxic masculinity, but how do we pursue, um, in our 20s, you know, how do we pursue becoming the man that we want to be? And one of the big things that I think our culture has kind of missed the boat on is traditional rites of passage. And so in every culture, uh, every ancient culture, um, and even today, the tribal cultures, uh, 
they have these rites of passage for boys to become men. And so at a certain age, uh, there's an indigenous tribe in Africa that locks a boy in a hut for three days. And they just send him out into the wilderness. They separate him from society. And then he sits there. Uh, he can go out, like, hunt and do everything that he needs to, but he's just on his own. And that's part of the rite of passage is that you can survive on your own, that you are capable. Um, John Eldridge, in his book Wild at Heart, has this recurring theme that every man just needs to be told that you are capable, that you are able. And, and so uh, rites of passage serve that function. But I think for the Marine Corps, there's three stages in the, in the rite of passage, um, according to most sociologists. Uh, but the first one is separation. And so for 13 weeks, I was separated from everything that I knew, everybody that was with me, separated from everything I knew, separated from their own identity even. Um, and so you're just like apart. You're gone, you're in an unfamiliar place. And then the next stage is transition. And so in that time, you're being molded into something else. Um, and so I'm, I'm being screamed at and being taught like culture and the history of the Marine Corps. Like they really indoctrinate you with a sense of pride in the USMC and, and who we are and our traditions and our history. Uh, and then there's reincorporation. So at the end of, uh, this is usually in other tribes and all of history, it's, it's culminated with a feast and with an affirmation from people that have been like pushing you through this process. And so the last week of boot camp, we do something called the crucible, which is uh, three days it's um, we did know, going 55 an miles, and you uh, you're just hiking through all these different stations. And so each station is a different set of obstacles that are in your way that you have to go through. Um, whether it's like a bayonet assault course where you're just like stabbing tires and sprinting through the next one and stabbing the next tire, or um, you know going through an obstacle course, each one of them is marked by uh, a plaque that has a medal of honor recipient. We stand at attention, we read their story, and they say this is the legacy that you have to uphold. And so it's grueling every night. You get four hours or less, two to four hours of sleep uh, for those nights. Um, and you have two meals that you can use, two MREs that you can eat throughout these three days. And so you're, you're starving. You're exhausted. You're running up hills, you know. One of the things that sticks out to me is that, you know, we would run to the top of the hill and the drill instructor would be at the top and he'd be counting down. And, you know, their count is 30, 29, 28, 27, 31. And, like, they count like that really quick. And if you have one guy that doesn't make it to the top of the hill, they're like, everybody back down. So you got to go back down. You're doing everything over and over again. Everything seems so meaningless in that space of time. Uh, and then it ends with a hike up this big hill, and, yeah. and so at the end of it, recruit, you all stand in the formation, and the drill instructors that have been leading you through the last 13 weeks, tearing apart your life, uh, they come up to you, and they hand you an Eagle Globe and Anchor emblem, which is the emblem of the Marine Corps. So they put it in your hand, and they say, congratulations, you're now a And so this whole time you've been a recruit, you've been nobody, you've been less than human, then all of a sudden you're like taking the legacy that has been presented to you for the last three days in your hand, and you're looking in the eyes of the man that told you, you're never going to make it, you're going to quit, you can't do this. And then they say, all right, you did it. And so it's this huge moment, and so many guys are like in tears up there. Because you can tell, like, this is the first time that they've been affirmed as a it's man. Weird. You never and the first the time that they feel a true sense so of accomplishment. And, and so like, at the end of this, you go back down the hill, like, okay, you go back to the chow hall, there's a feast course. waiting for you. Like, uh, they call it the warrior's breakfast, and it's the first time in all of boot camp that your drill instructor will eat in front of you. Like, it's weird. You never see the drill instructor eat at all. 
and so they sit down at the table and they just like eat with you and you're like okay now i'm like part of this core like it's a separate class of of being of humanity to step into this warrior's breakfast and to be able to sit next to a drill instructor to eat with them and the symbol is clear that this is like the marine corps now you're a marine so you belong here and it's so powerful for so many guys because it's so novel like they don't have that um and I don't think, of course, that you have yeah. to, you know, go through 13 weeks of boot camp and just haze yourself through all these things in order to pursue a rite of passage. But I think that those three steps, um, that separation and uh, the transition and the yeah. reincorporation, Sorry. I think they can be done on smaller scales. Um, okay, so let's, um, we're going to wrap up the conversation with a final question. So what would kind of make your final words of encouragement? to the guys listening as they step into adulthood. Yeah, I would say, yeah, if you are a believer, <laughs> and if you're not a believer, okay, this so applies to um, But I think that truly one of the most three-dimensional sources so what would of, be like your final um, words of masculine perfection in all of history is Jesus. Yeah. So I think that even if you're a secular person reading Yeah, Jesus, I would say um, if, if you are a believer, and if you're not a believer, this applies still, too. Yeah. But I think that truly one of the most three-dimensional so sources of um, masculine perfection in all of history is Jesus. I think that even if you're a secular person reading through the Gospels, you'll see this. Um, if you're somebody that doesn't believe at all that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, still read it. I mean, no matter what you believe about it, you can still pull lessons from it. So. Look at the life uh, of Jesus, and I think that yeah. in the life of Jesus, you'll see an image of self-control, and you'll see an image of doing hard things. And I think that that's Although another good thing, thing you know, in it's our good culture that's so averse to pain and discomfort, say, like, find that something to a man um, like, or a boy a looking to become to a man, uh, we need to embrace struggle in a new way. And so do hard things. That doesn't mean you have to like go out and run five miles. It doesn't mean you have to hit the gym. Although those are good things. You know, It's good to push your body physically. But I would say, like, find something to push yourself physically. Like, find a way to do something that takes all of your strength and concentration and, like, push your body to a limit so that you can, like, live in struggle and to, like, kind of lean into that that we've totally lost in a society. Uh, so do things that will push your limit physically, but also do things that will push you intellectually. Like, read a book. The delayed gratification has been so lost on our culture now. Um and so so many guys are just content to, you know, wait for the movie. <laughs> or, or, you know, if we sit down yeah. and we have a time of just quiet introspection. And, hey, um, that's a good way to end the podcast. I, I think love that that's note. a hard thing. Um, well, thanks, Jared. Thank you so much for being on Soul Things. Um, we really appreciate you, ha- you uh, having you on here and parting your wisdom. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram if you haven't already. It's so underscore things underscore podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey of navigating life in your 20s guys and just remember that even in the hard spaces his grace about ah my pleasure yeah yeah thank you guys so much for listening to another episode go ahead and follow me on instagram if you haven't already it's so underscore things underscore podcast thank you so much for joining me on this journey of navigating life in your 20s guys and just remember that even in the hard spaces his grace abounds see you next week